Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you that you have given us your word. We pray now that you would give us your Holy Spirit so that we might understand your word, we might receive your word, we might understand it, and we might apply it. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you all may be seated. So we are returning to our short little series called Life on the Summit. Uh, It's short, it's three weeks, all on Romans chapter 8. And just in case you're like, that's a lot of Romans chapter 8, some of the great preachers of history have divided this up into uh, six months of teaching. Uh, And that's not just one Sunday every week, it's two sermons every week. So we're giving you... we're giving you a, a, a really a flyover of Romans chapter 8, uh, but it's really excellent. It's called, the series is called Life on the Summit, and it's about how do we get to the top and live on the pinnacle of the Christian faith? What does it mean for our life in Christ on the summit? So if you were here last week, Chris began by telling a story about his hike up a 14er. If you remember, he said that he had hiked up one of the highest mountains, a 14,000-foot mountain uh, in Colorado. Now, I imagine that he didn't start at zero, um, but he started somewhere a little higher than zero and went up to the top. And it was this epic story of this pinnacle, this incredible view. Now, I'm not one to boast, but I'm gonna, um, that I too have ascended a 14er in Colorado. Uh, Just in case you're wondering, life is all about competition. Um, That's sarcasm. I'm glad some of you found it's the lowest form of humor. I specialize in it. Um, But uh, I too climbed up, or I too ascended a 14er. It was about 20 years ago. I led an expedition of nine high school students up Mount Evans in Colorado. There I was, I was in the lead, nine high school students behind me, confidently entrusting their young lives to my able leadership and my steady hands, which were on the steering wheel of a 15-passenger Ford Econoline van. As I drove up Mount Evans, it's the highest highway in the entire country, you can drive from Denver all the way up to the top of Mount Evans. And truth be told, we never made it to the top. Uh, this is as different from Chris's story as it possibly can be. Even though I had a steady hand, I had a very super stressed hand. And because if you've ever done this, if you've ever been out there on this highway, there are absolutely no guardrails. And it's just this one long switchback, back and forth and back and forth. And every time we got to a turn, these nine high school students who I love, who I kept reminding myself that I love, would gasp and groan to the point where I even I thought that we were going to fall off the mountain. We got halfway up. We were about, I think, maybe 9,000 feet or so. There's a, a, a park there, a parking area, and we got off, we took a break, we played in the snow, it was the middle of June, and I said, look, we can go to the top, but you have to stop stressing me out with all these gasping and groaning. And they opted to go back down, and so we never made it. Um, <laughs> you know, we never made it to the summit. How sad is that? But friends, That's what life is often like. We gasp and we groan as we go through it. It's not just our life in the world, because it can be pretty harrowing, but it's also our life in the Spirit. 
circumstances, challenges, unexpected bumps and turns can prevent us not only from staying on the summit, sometimes it can prevent us from reaching the summit. And friends, what do we do? What do we need to hear in moments like this? In moments that are harrowing and concerning and scary, we need a message of hope, of assurance and confidence. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is giving us in Romans chapter 8. Derek Thomas, he's one of these great Scottish preachers. You might know the type. It's his good Scottish brogue. That's my best effort at a Scottish brogue. That it makes everything that he says more exciting. It makes it more authoritative and maybe even more acceptable. So maybe I should learn that better. Um, but he, ha- he talks about, Derek Thomas talks about Romans chapter 8 this way. That he was preaching a sermon in which he called this chapter the best chapter in the Bible. And after the service, a man came quickly up to him to challenge him to say, isn't all the Bible actually the best chapter since God inspired every word? And Dr. Thomas's response uh, to this man was brilliant. He said this, look, you got two minutes to live. What scripture do you want me to read to you? You want me to read one of the first chapters of the book of 1 Chronicles, which is just a long list of names? Or do you want me to read Romans chapter 8? You'd want to hear Romans chapter 8. But because it begins with, if you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. And it ends with, because you're in Christ Jesus, there cannot possibly be any separation between you and your Father in heaven. You'd want to hear that, wouldn't you? If you're going to die, that's what you want to hear? The perfect assurance of your status in the gospel? Whether you're facing imminent death or the daily challenges of life. What do you guys want to hear when the twists and turns of your life make you gasp and hang on to the steering wheel for dear life? What do you want to hear when you face difficult circumstances and trials of all kinds? What do you want to hear when you're experiencing loss or you're suffering so much that it's hard to hope in the future. In fact, it's hard to hope for tomorrow. In those moments, what do you need to hear? And here's what Paul says in perhaps the pinnacle truth, in the pinnacle verse, in the pinnacle chapter of the Bible. He says this, that whether things are good or bad, if you are in Christ, if you have received, are filled with, and led by the Holy Spirit, then you are God's sons and you are God's daughters. That is your status. You have perfect union with God himself. Where you were once separated by sin, You are now perfectly united with God through Jesus. Verse 14 is where uh, you see this. It says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons, and by implication, daughters of God. When you have been united to Christ by faith, what God does is He adopts you into His family. God makes you his irrevocable heir so that all that is his is yours. This union 
has so many advantages, so many real advantages every day. Another great Scottish preacher named Sinclair Ferguson, who used to be for a time the pastor of First Pres in Columbia, South Carolina, he wrote that the notion that we are children of God, his own sons and daughters, is the mainspring of Christian living. Our sonship to God is the apex of creation and the goal of redemption. This morning, God wants you to receive this mainspring, to acknowledge this mainspring, to have this status completely and fully. It is actually the goal of redemption. All that Jesus did, all that Jesus came to do, all that he did was to make you God's children. And for this, this morning, for some of you, that may mean you will put your faith in Jesus really for the first time. You'll say, look, I need that. I want that. I want that comfort, that assurance, that security. Please come, Jesus, and you will receive him, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit, and you'll become God's daughter or God's son with every right and privilege that comes with it. And for others, it may mean today that you want to live fully into this reality so that in every situation, every trial, every challenge, every joy, everything you face, that your response will be, I'm God's daughter, and therefore I have every promise in Christ. Or you'll say, I'm God's son, and I have an irrevocable, I'm the irrevocable heir to the kingdom of God. You have an irrevocable right as his heir. It cannot be taken away from you. So as we look at Romans 8, this is the hope that you will lay claim to the status and make it, as Sinclair Ferguson says, the mainspring of your Christian life. It will be the place from which you operate hour by hour, day by day, week by week, into the future. So that when you face suffering, and we all do, and I dare say we all will, you can say like Paul does in verse 18, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Why will it be revealed to you? Because you're co-heirs with Christ. Everything that he will inherit when he comes into his kingdom will be yours. Everything. You are co-heirs with him. He can't inherit it without you. You can't inherit it without him. So let's go to the passage. Uh, Verse 14, God adopts you. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is proof that you are God's son or God's daughter. If you see the Spirit moving, friends, if you are prompted to want the things of God, the Spirit is in you. If you are able to resist the devil, the Spirit's in you. If you're able to understand the things of the kingdom, if you read the the Word of God, you're reading your Bible one morning, you go, huh, I understand something. That's the Holy Spirit's proof that you are his son or his daughter. You cannot do any of those things apart from him. And so when Jesus comes into your life, you put your faith in him, he gives you your spirit, you begin to operate. You're not operating perfectly, you're not hitting on all cylinders, but you are, figure, you are starting to see that God is at home in you in the way that you're able to live. You, he adopts you. The spirit is proof that you are God's child. Paul continues in verse 15, because your nature has changed. Because your nature has changed, you have no reason to fear, because you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You've been given, if you are in Christ, the spirit of adoption. He adopts you into his family. 
We see this in our gospel reading in John chapter 1, where he writes, but to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, what it is happening is God, through faith in his Son, is making you part of his family. Friends, if you don't hear anything this morning, God wants you to be part of his family. What incredibly good news. And if he wants you, you think God of the universe, he can, he can make it happen. And in fact, this is a whole chapter about how he's made it happen. Think about it. If God wants you to be part of his family, if this is what he wants, if this is what he's doing, how cruel would it be of God to uh, if he gave you some sort of false opportunity, one that you couldn't actually fulfill, something that you could never reach. See, God, he makes you part of his daughter or his son by his own will, by his own desire. Why would he ever thwart that plan? And why would he ever send his son into the world to die the death on the cross that he died if it wasn't going to be complete and perfect? God wants you to be part of his family, and he makes a way for you to be a part of his family. That's a place and a truth to operate from, to live from, to stake claim to. You've been given the spirit of adoption by which you can call out to God as your father in the most intimate ways. Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. We spent the last few days with some close friends whose daughter is learning to speak, and she talks a lot. She knows all of the animals and every sound that she makes. She can see a ball from about a half a mile away and go ball, 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 ball until you say ball. She can say car and vroom, vroom. It was very cute. Um, but the most beautiful words she said were papa, papa, and mama, mama, as she comes across the room and climbs into their arms. God wants you to. He made a way for you to know him as father. And he's given you access and rights as his children to come across the room and go, Papa, Papa, and climb into his arms. It's a beautiful thing. If you don't know God as father, I encourage you to speak to him this week as a father. Almighty God, you know, elaborate words. Just call him dad. See how your heart might change towards him. Let me point a few things out about this adoption which are important for us to note. First thing is this. We are not naturally God's children. It is a very popular notion in our culture to say that all people are God's children. In fact, there's some people who say this in the church. But the biblical truth is this, that we are actually all God's creation. He made us. But we can't be all be his children if these verses are true. We, in fact, can't be his children unless we believed in his son. See, God makes a way for us to be his children through adoption, through his own will, through his son Jesus. Second, adoption in that culture, uh, in the Roman culture, meant much more than just making you part of a new family. In fact, instead of providing a family for an orphan or a parentless child, 
Adoption in the, Rome, in the Roman culture, in the Roman world, was a more common legal procedure in which an adult who had no male heir made a young man his son so that that person might be his heir, so that person might take care of his estate, so that person might take care of him. And so it is a very functional legal process to somebody who has nobody to leave anything to. And several things happened when you were uh, made a new son in that culture. First, your debts were paid. Some of this might sound uh, a lot like the gospel it's meant to. Uh, your debts were paid. You got a new name. Instantly, you were heir of all that your father had. And you had some new responsibilities to take care of your new father's estate or his livelihood. And all of this process, this legal process, would take place in front of multiple witnesses so that nobody could ever call into question your adoption, so that it was irrevocable. Somebody doesn't go down the road and go, well, he never actually did that. No, it was done in front of multiple people so that you could never, it could never be denied. And friends, the same is true for us in, the spirit, in our spiritual life. Through faith in His Son, Jesus, we become sons of God, our debts are paid, right? The consequences of our sin, the things that we owe to God, they have been taken care of and settled. We're going to get a new name, Revelations tells us. And in verse 17, Paul says that we become fellow heirs with Christ. We become heirs of the Father's estate. We're given everything. And then finally, we have some new responsibilities in our Christian life. We are to take care of our Father's business, to take care of His estate, His household. And what's God's business? Well, His business is to make more people His sons and daughters. And we're called to go out and make disciples. That's where all of this comes from. Why? Because as His sons and daughters, we are now responsible for His work. And He's given us His Spirit to enable it. Third, Paul... Now, if you, when you read the Scripture, you might have gone, okay, it says, uh, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. That might wrinkle some of our... Uh, those of you who are ladies. But I want to point out that this is actually really incredible news. What Paul is saying, he has the gall to apply sonship to women, to apply this legal procedure of adoption that his Roman audience would understand in which a man was made a son and therefore the heir. He has the gall to apply it to all of us. Men and women. When he says all who are led by the Spirit, the Greek word is comprehensive. Every person, not excluding anybody who are led by the Spirit, are sons of God. Women, you are sons in a culture in which you got nothing from the Father's estate. You got nothing. And what Paul is saying is totally revolutionary. What Jesus is doing is totally revolutionary. He's saying that you who have nothing in this world are going to get everything in the world to come. I mean, you know, I mean, this is not just revolutionary for women. It's revolutionary for all. We don't deserve any of this stuff. He does it out of his pure love for us. Women, you are sons, just like men, you will be the bride of Christ. Metaphors have their little stretches, but in this case, it's good news. What Paul is saying is that you Every Christian, woman or man, is an heir of God. God, through adoption, has made you his heir, and that is irrevocable. 
It cannot be taken away, just like the sun being taken care of uh, in the Roman culture or being made heir. It can't be taken away. So, this is incredible. There are some implications of this reality that I think help us live day by day. And here they are, and they come from verse 15 and 16. First, you have security. If you are God's son and God's daughter, you are his heir. You have now no, have no reason to fear. See, a servant obeys the master out of fear, but a son or a daughter, you have a status that can't be taken away from you. You just get to respond with love. You have security. When you walk out of here, you don't have to worry that something you will do will make God hate you. He loves you, and he's made you his child if you put your trust in him. You have authority. So first, you have security. Second, you have authority as a son or daughter of God. A slave in the household of a, a person has no authority, but God has given you authority as his daughter, authority over sin, over the devil, and you can face every situation in your life knowing that it all belongs to you because your good father has given it to you. He's given you everything that he has, everything necessary. Third, you have intimacy. You can call out the Father in the most trying of moments, and you know that when you cry out, Father, Father, Daddy, Daddy, Papa, Papa, you know that it won't fall on deaf ears. And that gives us assurance. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You have an inner witness The Spirit is encouraging you in the deep places that you are God's child. Friends, that's the summit we want to reach in our individual and in our common life together in Christ as God's children, a place where we feel safe, that we can walk in His authority, we can know God intimately as Father, and we are assured that that we are His children. And when the grasp and the groans, the twists and the turns come, they won't prevent us from staying on the summit. They don't distract us and say, oh, you're not God's favorite. You're not God's child. He doesn't love you. No, this passage is vitally important for us to live, to reach and to live on the summit. Kent Hughes, he's a preacher, he wrote this. He said, the key to personal enjoyment of all of this is twofold. First, that we would experience the renewal of the Holy Spirit, and second, we would live according to the Spirit. Friends, if you want to experience the renewal of the Spirit this morning, just put your trust in Jesus. You might have to take off the crown that you put on and put it at Jesus' feet. And my experience is sometimes that often has to be repeated because I go back and I pick up the crown and I put it back on my head. And I need to take it off and give it back to him. And then a few days later, I realized, oh, goodness, there it is again on my head. I thought I looked so good. Here it is. You have to take it and you have to give it to him. And I just want to encourage you to do that today. In a few minutes, we're going to confess our sin. We do this every Sunday because sometimes we pick the crown back up. Actually, probably all the time we pick the crown back up. We need to confess our sin. You want to experience the renewal of the Spirit, it begins with confession. God will fill you with His Spirit. If you ask, He will give it to you. That's the promise that He makes in the Scriptures. 
and then we will live according to the Spirit. For this, we always need the Father's help. We need more. And so as we pray, let's ask the Lord for more of His Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Father, Papa, Dad, thank you for making us your children through your Son, Jesus. We desire to be renewed by your Spirit, to live by your Spirit, but we confess that we need your help. Lord, would you pour out upon us your Spirit, that we may see you at work, that this would be an assurance of our adoption as your children, and lead us into greater faithfulness and greater mission. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.